Let's pray. Lord, come and speak to us and encourage us and lead us into your surprising freedom. Amen. Amen. So before, immediately before I I went to vicar college, trained to be um, a vicar, I was working as a builder. And um, it was was fantastic. I mean, that's perhaps a a glorified term. Labourer might be more accurate, but my... My, my children are unaware of this, so that when I drive across South Oxfordshire and I say, oh, I built that house, and I built that house, so in time they will learn to translate this as, oh, dad built the paint on the side of that wall, or dad built the heap of rubbish in that skip that contributed to that. But anyway, I was a builder, complete with white vans, tabloids, and tea breaks, and the guys that I worked with, when they learnt of my plans to become a reverend, as they, as they put it, they immediately changed my name to, to either Rev or GB. Now, this was the time that the BBC um, sitcom Rev was out, which sort of fed into that first obvious nickname. GB stood for God-botherer, <laughs> which was their, their favourite term for people like me and people like you, incidentally enough. Um, but during the tea breaks, they sometimes do that thing where they say... Rev, you want to you shut your ears for this next bit, as the story, you know, took a particularly fruity turn, or, or sometimes when there was a particularly foul-mouthed outburst uh, about some situation or about someone, they'd do that thing where they'd sort of, like, make a little apology somewhere up to the sky, <laughs> sort of under the impression that there was some sort of speech that was off-limits for God-botherers um, and, and off-limits for God. Like, like we had to retain a certain level of politeness, um, pleasantness in our official God-bothering, like we could upset God's sensibility or something. Well, James, Tim, Ricky, Don, and Ken, you might be listening because I've messaged you about this. This one is for you because today we are looking at the less than polite Psalm 109. If you have a Bible, um, turn to Psalm 109. It's right there in the middle. It's angry. It's bitter, and it's in the Bible, which is, which is kind of surprising. What are we going to make of it? Let's start reading. Psalm 109. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me for I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. So those first five verses have set the scene. Okay, then how about this for a prayer? Lord, would you appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy? Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. He's really getting going by this point. Verse 11. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. 
May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. For this man, he never thought of doing a kindness, but he hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse, so may it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing, so may blessing be far from him. He wore cursing as his garments. It entered his body like water, into his bones like oil. This is my favorite bit. So may those curses be like a coat wrapped about him, like a belt tied around him forever. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. Let's just pause there in this psalm. That is a full 15 verses of cursing your enemy. Didn't Jesus say we were to, to try to love our enemies, even to bless, specifically to bless those who curse you? So what is this psalm doing in the Bible? What has been considered worthy or valuable in these angry and bitter words? Well, the first thing we've got to note is that this is our speech to God. This isn't the script of God's speech to us. These words are given to us here as a script for our speech to God. These are the words for the God-botherers. In fact, these are officially sanctioned words for us to bother God with. It's in the Bible. It doesn't get much more official than that. Let's continue reading it. And notice how it is addressed. Verse 21. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I fade away like an evening shadow. I'm, I'm shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. I'm an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they just shake their heads. Help me. Lord, my God, save me according to your unfailing love. This isn't an everyday sort of prayer. This isn't everyday stuff that this, this person is going through. This is desperate speech, and it's addressed to God. I'll always remember the harrowed, sleepless face of my friend when he showed up on my door after, after discovering that somebody close to him had taken this course of action that was devastating in its scale of betrayal and damage and loss. And so we took a walk together, and it was a walk that was, was punctuated by the sudden sobs of this sickening reality that had crashed into his life, the, the loud silence of despair, the bursts of angry rage. Crucially that day, it was speech that was directed to me as he gave expression to his pain, unguarded and shocking expression about the pain and the anger in his heart, how suddenly he'd been forced down this path that no one would choose to walk a path of pain and grief, unnecessary pain, avoidable grief. And there's such anger that day against the person whose actions have been so ruinous to his life, the agony of it, and the strong strong words that, that crucially were spoken to me. These words of Psalm 109 are not there to be spat straight back in our enemies' faces. Now, this is speech to God, and it's inviting us. It's this invitation for us to be absolutely honest 
about what is going on inside of us. Not to be in denial, not to minimize, not to bury or repress anything. God meets us and he hears us exactly where we are at. Isn't that the whole miracle of the gospel, of what all of this fuss over thousands of years has been about, of who God is, of how he is with us? This, this amazing grace that reaches down to each of us right in the midst of our darkest realities. We don't have to be polite or pleasant or dressed up in our Sunday best. It turns out that actually rock bottom, mid-disaster, at the end of ourselves, is an excellent place to discover prayer, connection, presence, to discover urgent, raw, impolite prayer. It's allowed. Oh God, you know, I just I really wanted to hit them when they said that. Oh God, how on earth could they have done that? You know, I kind of hope that their next project fails. Would you trip up their, their thing? Oh God, I actually hate their guts right now after what they did to me. When they walk into the room, I can't even look at their face. This is the sort of prayer of Psalm 109. And the invitation of the psalm is to bring all of that raw, unfiltered emotion, and instead of throwing it back in our enemy's face, we bring it to God in prayer. And here's the second thing. This is our speech to God which changes our hearts. You know, speaking out our stuff like this actually transforms in a meaningful way, what is going on in here. A bit like talking therapies, or even just a really deep conversation with someone who's great at listening. Just the act of giving expression to our inner turmoil can be the beginning of healing. It moves us on a bit into a different place. So you know, just take any one of those, those curse verses. Verse 12, may no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. When we put words on the malice, the anger, the hurt, the pain that is going on inside of us, when we acknowledge to ourselves and before God that this is, this is actually how we're feeling, it can shift something. So I was telling um, those at one of the summer nights evenings about the first funeral that I ever took. It was a few years on from the building site days, and I was freshly ordained, ready to go. And the, sense, the very sensible plan that we had in place was um, for the first funeral for me to shadow the, the older, more experienced vicar that I worked with um, to, to learn how it's done, and then in due course to take part of the service um, alongside them. And then before eventually and very carefully spreading my wings and undertaking this, this precious um, ministry, um, funeral ministry. Of course, no sooner had my said older experienced vicar colleague gone on holiday than the phone rings. Uh, somebody's died and they, they, they were requesting an Anglican vicar, can you help? So of course, in that newly ordained, overconfident way, I took a deep breath and I said, yes, of course. 
I felt a little bit like Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can. I don't know when he's like pretending to be an airline pilot and a doctor. And, um, and I thought I got away with it until at the end of the funeral, one of the family members came up to me, shook my hands, and with a twinkle in their eye, just said, well, you, you can't have done many of these before. <laughs> <laughs> ah, to totally busted. But a week, a week before the, the funeral, there is um, the funeral visit, where you, you go and you meet the family, and you just talk through all the arrangements um, for the, the service, and, and just sort of check in um, how things are going. And um, so I turned up for this, this funeral visit. I put on my strange vicar collar, ready for this, this moment, and I rang the doorbell of a man who'd, who'd just recently been bereaved of his wife for many, many years. Another family member opened the door. Um, they their inside, they didn't show it, but inside their face probably falls when you see... Um, such an inexperienced um, person uh, coming to tend to you in this delicate moment. Anyway, everything was fine. They offered me a cup of tea, just as I expected. And I sat down, and then in came the, uh, the recently bereaved husband. And we sat opposite on this very small, in his small living room. And what happened next took me completely by surprise. Suddenly he was, he was, he was quite angry. He just said, why? He looked at me in the eye and said, why? Why? Why her? She didn't deserve this. This isn't how I'd expected it to go, and I just sort of sat there. I didn't, I didn't have any words. I just sat there in my strange outfit, um, and it was, it was kind of awkward. Eventually, we recovered things and got it back together, made the arrangements. But then later that day, I bumped into a, an older um, pastor friend uh, called Paul, and I told Paul how it was how it had gone and how I'd been so unable to kind of offer these, these words of hope and be this profound spiritual support into this, this moment like I'd imagined that that's what I was trying to do. And he just said to me, Owen, it sounds like it was a profoundly spiritual time. Because he knew that there's something very precious and profound about spilling out our raw emotions, whatever they might be, before God. And it's more than any talking therapy. We're not being, as we do that, we're not being heard just by ourselves or by some human therapist. In prayer, we are heard by the one who is both the savior of the world and the judge of the universe. When you have been seriously wronged and you've got all of the anger and the rage and the violence, understandably, swirling inside, and then you can give some kind of expression of that before God, before the judge of the universe. It changes things. And we get to the end of a prayer like this. And we're in, we're in a bit of a different place. Just look at verse 30. After 29 verses of the desperation, of the curses, and it seems here, like, like in so many of the Psalms, actually, as you leaf through them, it seems here that it, it ends up in a different place. This is where it eventually lands. Verse 30. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. Somehow, he's arrived at a place of gratitude. There's notes of hope here. Something of the anger is spent. A measure of healing is able to take place in us. I think we're suddenly less likely to go off and, and do, say and do things that will only serve to cycle the pain and the destruction. 
this prayer, the prayer of Psalm 109, this sort of prayer offers us a way out of some of those vicious feedback loops. And it moves us towards being genuinely able to consider, to begin to consider, perhaps, the sort of radical love of enemies, blessing those who curse you, that Jesus was calling us to. So this is our speech to God. It's speech that changes our hearts. And it does this as we come to trust ourselves to God's resolution. We're trusting ourselves to God's action and justice, not our own capacities for retribution and revenge. Verse 21, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf. And verse 31, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one. This is crucial. The posture of our faith is not one of control. It's not one of of having to bring about every resolution and restore every bit of justice for ourselves. For us, there is this wide, wide, much wider frame of reference than just this brief life, which is so often marked by injustice and tragedy. There is, we insist, a judge of perfect justice who sees, who knows, who will make all things right. Unlike the psalmist who was writing these words hundreds of years before Jesus walked, we now get to see so much more of this wider frame of reference of God's intervention in Jesus, of this new day that is dawning of hope, strong hope, of renewal, of restoration. We believe, do we not, in the resurrection, that death is not the end of the story, that all manner of healing and consolation awaits, that the last word is eternal life. So when we are struck down, betrayed, bullied, and broken, when our homelands are invaded, when marriages are destroyed, when futures are stolen, when all that we hold dear seems to be lost, Jesus is to be found right there on the floor with us amongst the the shattered pieces of our lives. Verse 31, for he stands at the right hand of the needy ones, needy ones like you and me, to save us from all that would condemn our souls to death. So when the voices of death and despair and rage and bitterness swirling inside of us, he hears us and he offers us his hand and he takes like our our ugly, violent, clenched fists and he takes it in his beautiful, scarred hands. And we find there that there is grace enough for us. There is healing. Against all the odds, there is new hope. Our speech to God, it changes our hearts and it does so as we come to trust the substance of our lives to his resolution, to his care, to his healing. So how will we respond when we face some of those life-defining, awful situations? The bullying campaign against us, the betrayal, the slander, the, the malicious lies, the crushing words spoken over our lives, the, the painful loss, when, whatever it is, when we are lying awake, sleepless with the horror and the despair of it all, how will we respond? The way I see it, we've got three options. 
we could try to just bury and repress all of that feeling. Number two, we could, we could channel it into a kind of violent word or action straight back at the source of the problem. Or number three, we could channel all of that stuff towards God in prayer. Two of those responses are very normal. Only one of them is fruitful, hopeful, and healing. So that's the invitation of Psalm 109, to be brutally honest in prayer, to be heard, to have our hearts changed, and to enter into this freedom of trusting ourselves to God's justice and consolation. For indeed, he stands at the right hand of the needy to save us from all that would condemn us to death. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.